You are listening to the Playlist Podcast. I'm Eric McClanahan. This is Oktay Ege Kozak. And I'm Ryan Oliver. And we just want to say hello and welcome to the this particular podcast. Uh, we're sort of in the middle of a new venture here where um, us three have been talking off mic. We've, of course, done uh, over-under movies together mm-hmm. and uh, have since sort of lapsed in terms of what we're all we're – all, we're all spread out doing different things these days. But um, we're trying to get back on mic more together. So we're hoping this is the beginning of just at least trying to get something on the more regular, whether it's mm-hmm. over-under episodes or a playlist podcast episode like this. Um, in particular, this one, uh, we're going to be discussing a, a specific Blu-ray release, but other ones as well. So um, our goal here is to just find the things that we want to talk about, but making time to actually talk about them on mic. So uh, I'm really glad that you guys are here. We're actually here together, which yeah. is yes. cool. <laughs> Usually this is over Skype, even when yeah. me and Octay live relatively in the same area. Uh, we're usually doing it online, mm-hmm. but this is really special. Ryan is is visiting our fair city for uh, for the week. So. I mean, it's still my home city after That's all. That's right. So. It is your home. <laughs> exactly. So it's right to have you back. Um, so, yeah. So here we are. We're in this room. Uh, what are we going to talk about? I want to tease a little bit about this specific Blu-ray release, but mm-hmm. then we have other things to talk about uh, before we get to that. We um, Lots of sad Russian kids. Oh, yeah. Get get your depressed hats on, folks. I think I bummed Octay out extra on this one, so <laughs> if you're hearing him in a low register, that's probably my fault. But that's <laughs> what I'm, I do, I'm gonna, I guess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my revenge on the next episode. Yeah, probably, exactly. So, so I guess, yeah, It's if, if anybody has followed us uh, in the past, and if you have, thank you. I don't know why you care what we have to say, but you're here. Thank and you. Thank yeah. you, but... Yes. You might remember that I I think Octay teases me the most about this. I will pick the weirdo, fucked up movies and sort of make you guys mm-hmm. endure them sometimes. This isn't necessarily that movie or that kind of movie. It's just a it's a challenging art house movie, challenging mm-hmm. uh, Russian film specifically, Russian director. Um, f- probably going to murder his name, but I, I've got a handle on it these days. Yeah. Andrei Zivyagenstev. Um, okay. The reason I like this director, we'll get into it more, um, but... Uh, I think he's one of, well, not the reason, we'll get into the reasons later, but uh, I just think this is a really exciting, um, one of the best filmmakers working today, makes very tough, um, relentless films, uh, unrelenting films, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, unforgiving films, but I think he's a really exciting filmmaker nonetheless, and uh, filmmakers like Christopher Nolan have actually actively championed his, his films in the past, so again, we'll get into all that. But uh, he's got a couple new, a couple of his first movies are uh, new to Blu-ray by Kino Lorber. So um, look forward to that in the uh, the sort of later half of this episode. But right now, I just wanted to kind of open things up since we're on mic together and it's been a while. And uh, I want to pass it to Ryan and just say, like, what's something you've seen lately? Just be it at a theater, on TV, a show, anything that you've seen that just uh, is worth shouting out at the moment. Oh, worth shouting out? Oh, Jesus. Even uh, if good or bad, but I'm thinking something that was just, you know, worth, that you feel. What, what's on your mind right now? For sure. Well, up a little bit. well, I did a couple reviews uh, recently, so um, you can find those. I don't really want to shout those movies out because they're not very good. So, fair um, enough, fair but enough. But they're... They're on the playlist. You can find them uh, for uh, The Legacy of a White-Tailed Deer Hunter and The First Purge. Uh, you can look for those reviews, but I don't really recommend you see either of those movies. Um, but I would like to champion this uh, little little B-movie oddity uh, from 1983 called Extro. Oh, yes. Um, nice. I yes. second that. That you movie's second. awesome. It's so awesome. And so... Um, this new Blu-ray label, uh, or I don't, maybe they're not new, but I had never heard of them before. Uh, Second Sight, they're a UK Ooh, it's label. New to me, okay. Yeah, brand I always new trust to the me. UK labels, man. They're amazing. I, they, I, I don't know about the new release, but every single piece of marketing makes that movie look like a cheesy, so bad it's good, like '80s, like alien invasion sci-fi or whatever. But it's it's much better than that. It's a legitimately God. good movie. Well, I mean, I first discovered it on. Red Letter Media's Best of the Worst. It was like their uh, third episode, I think. Yeah, it was early. It was very early on in the show, and they watched it and went, like, we have a problem. This movie's actually interesting. And they're like, it doesn't belong <laughs> on this table, but it looked, because it looked like that, that was a movie they chose to watch. And but the Russian like, movie this... we're going to talk about deals with uh, issues between oh, I, children I, and parents. You beat and... me to it. I was oh, going to bring it up snap. on a very, very base similarity. Yeah, <laughs> there's, I mean, the there's some is... stuff. But this uh, the rest gets weird. filmmaker, yeah. Harry Bromley Davenport, okay. uh, it's a very, like, on the surface, it looks like it's, like, an E.T. knockoff, like mm-hmm. it's going to be. But it's a very, like, strange, um, like, really, like, gory, gross, practical effects sort of mm-hmm. extravaganza. But it's also got this, like, weird sort of, like, family drama at the center of it. And it's actually, like, quite 
good. Like nice. it's, it's like I mean it is it's a B movie. It is what it is. I'm not going to beat around the bush or or like championing it for being more than it is. But it's a really strange little movie that I enjoy and Second Sight just put out a region-free Blu-ray of That's the wow. first time that it's ever been released. Yeah, every other home video release of this movie, by the way, looks like garbage. It's crap. So I'm, I'm yes. thinking the Blu-ray is going to look good. So. It looks very cool. good. Uh, I picked it up. I pre-ordered it the second I found it. It was available. There's four cuts on it. Damn. I will say, if you do check it out, do not watch the like director's version. They kind of went in uh, and tried to like clean up the special effects and make it look a little bit... I Some, don't want George it, Lucas on it. It's special just, edition. It just shit. looks off. Mm. Um, so watch watch the original version, I okay. would say, is the one to watch. And had you seen the movie? So that's why you pre-ordered it. You knew this movie yes. already? Okay. I, had, I had sought it out. Um, I, I, I Does saw it have gun, it on, at the end going, we so free? No, no, it's not anything like that. But uh, <laughs> I had sought it out after I saw it on Best of the Worst. Uh, I'd rented the one of the DVD okay. releases of it. So I had seen this movie a couple years ago and uh, really enjoyed it. And I've been so, waiting for a proper Blu-ray of it. That's and, awesome. There's one other thing I want to give a shout out to. I haven't watched it yet, um, but uh, the Criterion release of Bull Durham yes. is, is out uh, yes. as we're speaking of this. I still need to go pick it up and I still need to watch Same. it, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time, so I'm mm. happy it's got a proper release and uh, I just want to let people know that that movie still holds up incredibly well and you should go see it. What do you think? You more Ron Shelton from Criterion? Could they do White Man Can't Jump? I don't, I don't know. Tin, tin Cup? <laughs> can they do Tin Cup, maybe? Yeah, you got your Costner uh, double feature. Can, can I do Hollywood Homicide? Oh, yeah, cool. but I, Cobb? <laughs> oh, that's right. He did do the Ty Cobb. He's done his baseball stuff. Yeah, yeah he has. I I don't know. I just don't see that happening for his other movies. Like I, I like White Man Can't Jump. Um, it doesn't seem fitting with the. But even scene, even no. even Bull Durham is, a, is an interesting choice for Criterion. It it's kind of like those yep. occasionally like interesting kind of mainstream American choices that they make. Um, like I'm Breakfast sure, Club, yeah, Breakfast right. Club, and yeah. all that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not as like egregious as like Armageddon or anything like that. But it's it's a. They're, they're odd choices like Tootsie or like I mean it just it's sometimes yeah. it just looks like they get the rights to these movies they're like we'll make money off of them mm-hmm. Midnight so, Cowboy let's, let's I think just to, came out like Midnight last Cowboy month, yeah. for, you know it's because of it's like cultural I guess like drama it's it's very like kind of exper- it has like experimental edges to it um, true because I, I rewatched the Criterion of that recently mm. so movies like Midnight Cowboy um, Easy Rider yeah. and like all those movies they kind of I think they kind of medium cool they kind of fit that like kind of criterion uh setup a bit more than like more genre like 80s material like right. breakfast club and right um uh, Durham. i guess Durham's a just a straight drama too and mm-hmm. uh, it's more of a romantic comedy it's true it's a great yeah it's, it's been a while it really yeah. and that's what's yeah. kind of like what i love about, like it's a great baseball movie too and i love that it's not like you know any sports movie nowadays always seems to be like the inspirational like story which can be inspiring but it does get a little tiresome and so like bull durham is like it's great because it's about like it's about minor league baseball for one like you know it's either like a little kid baseball team or it's about the majors so we're about a minor league team um and it just like it has so much love for the game but it's it's again it's a strong romantic comedy and like those three actors i think just really make that movie yeah, exactly yeah I've, i haven't it seen it since true, i was like 12 true. and i'm supposed to be getting a copy so i'm um, looking forward to revisiting it i'm sure I'm, it's going to be a i'm going to have a much different like adult appreciation of it other than like being awkward when Watching the movie with my like my mother in the room with the second. Uh, I just oh, I remember, we know you're looking forward to that. I, I remember all that all that awkwardness like really well, but apart from that, I don't I don't remember that much about it. Is there is there anything Octay that you're looking forward to? Anything that you've seen lately? You can just uh, be random. When anything it's been that... a little while, but I still want to give a shout out to uh, How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Yes, uh, still my favorite film of the year. Uh, and the consensus on that movie seems to be not only just <laughs> kind of mediocre or like man, it's there are critics who like like hate that movie with a passion. Yeah, and uh, I kind of understand that it's it's a really weird tone to like really gel into. It really does have this like very abrasive kind of in your face punk attitude, and it's like it's it's all about like anti system and anti conformity, and it's about like and it's just like mixed with this like really weirdly sexual BDSM version of like alien invasion story that's wrapped around in this like really like genuinely sweet and like 
beautiful romance that like earns its schmaltz. So it's mm. like this. It's just like it's a movie made for like three completely different audiences but that's what makes it so daring and special to me um you fold into all three of those somehow. F- yeah yeah so but I'm, I'm i mean i just don't think even in the terms of like oh you have to be this kind of an audience to enjoy it it's just that like it's for people who are like really looking for something that's genuinely original not yeah. just like because you know indie or like you know offbeat stuff can like get uh thrown into the same mold sometimes or come out of the same mold and this is a movie that i find to be kind of uh, i find to be like incredibly refreshing in it's like earnestness and it, in it's in it's uh, capability of really going out there as far as like the um the weirdness is concerned it's like uh i don't know it's 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 a very hard film to describe but like i would just say it like this it's like if you want to watch the the uh, most tender and kind of beautiful and touching uh, love story where also the uh, there's an alien story where the aliens put on full body uh, leather gimp suits and uh, reproduce Sign me up. <laughs> and, and, they, and they reproduce by literally fisting their uh, human uh, victims Go on. Go uh, and, and they're, that's, that's their like strategy to like kind of invade earth is uh you know it's if that's if that's it's that if that's within your like well connection it's uh you should be satisfied but yeah it's 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 a really odd and weird movie and you know i when you're a critic and you tell people that you're a critic uh people always ask oh, what should i watch and what's your favorite movie of the year or something and um i I, even though it's my favorite movie of the year, I, I barely ever uh, bring it up to people unless I know them. Uh, <laughs> but you don't say go see the alien fisting movie. Yeah, the al- you alien. Hold on, you, you go <laughs> the second. alien, the alien fisting romance. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a genuinely, it's probably the most like kind of original and genuinely offbeat and creative film I've seen all year. And that the stuff like that, just like you know, I, I tend to have a soft spot for stuff like that. You know, my late last year, my favorite film. Um, uh, was uh, a cure for wellness, and that's another yep, one of yeah. those where it's like you can't really define it into like one single category, and it's just uh, yeah. How to talk to girls sounds like it's, it's you're it's putting like your foot in the it's of, your cure for wellness. Yeah, yeah. for this year maybe. Flat uh, flag, and I love that yeah. though, man, because it's an A24 release, and it's proof that even A24, which is sort of the golden distributor that we all champion probably too much, yeah. is like. They, but they Ryan, have misses, Ryan, you've seen you know? it, right? Yeah. And you kind of like that. I did. I, I'm not as high on it, but I still mm. think it's a really like movie worth watching. It, it also reminded me a lot of a movie that uh, oh, yeah, Liquid uh, Sky, Liquid Sky, yeah. which Vinegar yeah. Syndrome uh, just put out recently. Which, yeah, if you've seen that, you'll probably not love, love this. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So if you've seen that movie, okay. um, it's okay. definitely also like, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. If you're a big fan, yeah, of, of course, John Cameron Mitchell. I thought of Repo Man a decent amount yes. watching the movie too. So there's okay. a lot of vibes from these. It's, it's, sort it's of almost like, like it's it has the mischievous kind of like anarchic punk spirit of Repo Man with with like an actual like very schmaltzy love story in the mm. middle of it. But it's, it works. It's it the works. type of movie that I think is like this sounds like such a cheesy like phrase to be on plastered on a poster. But mm. like I think it's like destined to probably be a cult like. A, a beloved cult movie somewhere down the line, if that even mm-hmm. happens anymore, yeah. it's hard to say. But I think it's one of those movies that I think will find an audience. I think I think time. it's going to be a cult hit with like punk romantics. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that, if there is such a thing. The cult starts right here. That's, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, right. Have you seen it? I have not, and we had oh, it on my theater, and the key lasted for a long time, and I still didn't get around to watching it. So, mm-hmm. and you were championing it, and mm-hmm. I was going to, but. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's sad. We had it very briefly at our theater. That is a rarity for A24 releases. Usually those sit around at our places, mm-hmm. uh, our theater for a while. People probably didn't know what to make of it. No, and they just, it was a whimper of a release, really. They let us just do one show a night, and they were like, okay with that. Usually they will make you do three or four shows a day. So the fact that A24 is like, just play our movie, please. <laughs> Basically, it, uh, it's too bad. It's like the movie sad. didn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so I'm glad you're here championing it, man. That's that's what we're here to do. Yeah. And I don't want to I don't want to do a quick shout out to Uncle Drew. It wasn't nearly as terrible as I thought it was going to be. Uncle Drew, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah the was, basketball was, movie. It was, right? a, it was a fun, dumb, like underdog sports movie. Okay, and I'm really impressed with how well all these basketball players can pull off, like playing 
old men. Yes. In like goofy old age makeup. And Shaq being good because we all yes. know Shaq's film career has yeah. been quite rough. Yeah. And what it, do you it mean? Wasn't, Kazam it wasn't was like great. a super like it wasn't like a really good movie or whatever, but like it probably was the best movie you could possibly come up with with a out of a stupid ass premise like sure. that. So I think it's impressive. I think that it movie's destined to I mean, I know we don't put a lot of stock in awards, but I think that movie's destined for a best makeup Oscar nomination because mm-hmm. sort of Kyrie Irving's, Murphy effect almost. Well, yeah, like Kyrie it. Irving's like twenty six, twenty seven, and he's like a very convincing and they old sell man it. in the movie. And they okay. sell they sell, it. I don't know so. what acting coaches they went to or whatever. And I think Lil Ray Howery is uh he was great in get out and he's, Oh yeah, yeah. I think he has a bright career. Like he has this he has a really good like comedic timing and the, him and the basketball players in all age makeup they all have they all had like pretty sweet chemistry it's the kind of movie that you, it's it's predictable from minute one uh, but it's the kind of movie that you want to go to in these like dark dark times and watch like a inspiring fluffy like underdog totally. sports movie and it awesome. probably gets the job done that way I, I walked out of it and I was just like I, I just felt like yeah this was this was fun it yeah. was fun and positive and, you know hit a weird like meta moment where Lil Ray House Lil Lil Ro Howard's character mentions Get, Get Out, out yeah, yeah. in the movie. Oh, nice, really? Yeah. There's like a reference? Yeah, he's like, I've seen Get Out, and I was like, what? <laughs> and so he's the friend in Get Out, right? That's He was the brother in the, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Gerard Carmichael's show. He did like a traditional sitcom like, I, I called heard The Carmichael it. Show. David Alan it. Greer played his dad, and it's like actually kind of an interesting, Netflix had it the first two seasons. I think the show's done now. Anyway, yeah. he was the brother character to Gerard in the show, and uh, he's a charmer. He's just yeah. like a dude that makes you giggle. Like, he's he's, oh, yeah. he's adorable. So, uh, that's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, Uncle I, Drew is yeah, something just, that I I'm think just, I... It's not a movie I would champion because it's, it's kind of like a movie that I would get like three and a half out of five stars or something but at the but same time it looks it look, no I, yeah. I expected <laughs> exactly. to give it one. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm just cool. I'm just kind of giving it a shout out because like uh, to people who are just like, you know, film critics or film buffs, like would see like the poster, or the marketing materials of that movie, like that looks like garbage. Totally, and it does. And I want to say that like, it was, it was fun. That's awesome, man. <laughs> that's better than yeah, I would have expected. That's cool. How about you, Eric? Um, yeah, anything you want to champion? I do. The, yeah, yeah. The uh, central. We'll we'll hold off on that 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 lurking Russian uh, Blu-ray threat that's that's coming. But uh, yeah, I, I do have some things I want to champion. I actually just burned through the first season. I don't know if there will be more seasons. But uh, Steven Soderbergh's HBO series Mosaic. I don't know if you guys watched Not it at yet. all. No. no, it was an app originally where you could almost do the narrative in a choose your own adventure way. Oh, fucking now I people. that's kind of what I now that was released before it came on HBO. I should okay? say fucking Soderbergh. I don't think there's much of a difference. No, no. Here's the thing. I had a similar reaction, and I'm like, that's cool. Soderbergh likes to push technology. He's trying to play in a new sandbox. He's a creative guy. Mm-hmm. Never paid attention to the app. I have heard from our editor in chief, Rodrigo Perez, that the app is the better experience. I've just watched the linear narrative show as recut for HBO, and I gotta tell you. It's like, I would consider it a long movie. I hate to get into this Twin Peaks-esque argument of, is it? But I'm just saying it's in my top ten right now of movies that I've seen this year. Not because I think it's mind-blowing, but I'm like, this is really good adult drama. Um, And it's adventurously made. I love the way, the places he puts the camera in his shows uh, or any of his new stuff. Like, The Nick is really, really, was a really great series that he directs all this stuff, Soderbergh. Um, So there's a true, like, vision all the way through it. And uh, Mosaic brings back Sharon Stone, who... uh, what did she pop up in recently that I saw her in? Disaster Artist. Disaster Artist. One one scene. And, you know... I like Sharon Stone. We yeah. we talked about Basic Instinct, and it was an overrated movie back yeah. in the day. But I but like she made Sharon that Stone. Movie. She did. Yeah. Nobody she... wanted to see that movie to look at like Michael Douglas's yeah. like, saggy ass. Well, <laughs> maybe I did. I don't know. But I might be the only one. But Sharon Stone is great. She's a, she became a movie star for a reason. And I thought that was a really interesting combination of where Soderbergh is in his career and where Sharon Stone is in her career. Uh, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman himself, is a character in this. A lot of interesting... uh, Bo Bridges pops up. Like, very interesting Interesting. sort of old people from the past. It's like the Twin Peaks, the return casting, where you see, like, Jim Belushi, and you're like, what what have they been doing? Yeah, and they're they're putting something uh, bizarre, artful, interesting like that, and it's like, wow, Bo Bridges is, like, kind of a fascinating Mm. presence on camera. Uh, Sharon Stone. So, um, really good series. I'd say it's worth catching up. It's on HBO Go. 
Um, I'd say other than that, um, that was something I've just been into lately because I haven't gone out to the theaters a ton. Uh, I think Hereditary is not the last movie I saw in a theater, but the last new movie that I've been really jazzed about. You're not going to recommend Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? No, sir. I mean, no. I didn't. I mean, better than the last one, but no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but what I kind of did was revert revert into nostalgia a little bit and uh, I watched all the Predator movies uh, nice. just the Predator itself series not the, uh, the, for the Predator Predator 2 and Predators and Predators yeah not the AVP mm. BS I still haven't watched those but yeah, I gotta say the, first oh, the best Predator, one is Predator of course but what's uh, your favorite of the sequels it is no doubt the first one is such a perfect like lean action movie it's great Predator 2 very flawed uh, I don't know if you remember it very well, but Danny yeah, Glover's in it. It's in a future it used at the to be on time. Cable all the time. So it was on cable. My childhood is like my burned into my memory. Me too, man. I it was that, cable all the time. I know that movie front and back. I can remember when. Oh, here's when Gary Busey's going to enter the movie. Yeah, yeah, and gets exactly. Significantly. And I was seen twenty plus years more heightened. Ago. Yeah. Um, Predator two, very flawed, but I got to tell you, has a goofy charm to it that I think oh, is yeah. oh, sure. uh, representative of the time and the era where like it's not a good sequel. They sort of took a lot of the wrong lessons from the first one. But they tried to do something different. It doesn't totally uh, work. Pre- it's goofy. Yeah, Predators is probably technically a better movie, but it it's is. also incredibly mediocre and forgettable. It's it's got a lot of issues, and like some of the cast is really great, and then some of the cast is like mind-boggling in Predators. But anyway, mm-hmm. like I think the the main thing is I am fucking excited for the Shane Black the Predator that's oh, yeah. coming out in September. The fact that he wrote it, directed it. He was and, in and the original. He, he wrote it with Fred Decker, who directed the Monster Squad. Exactly. So I'm really happy about that guy. <laughs> Them two combining, coming back into Hollywood in some form or fashion. Totally, it's I think he should exciting. be allowed to make like a remake or something. But maybe, maybe if this makes a lot of money, they'll they'll give him like it a Monster Squad remake or something. It could like be that. an Iron Man three where it opened up doors for Shane Black to get to do more stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I, I would say so. I'm very excited for the Predator. So it's it's a series that I actually think is quite worth revisiting. It was, it was enjoyable and. Before we do turn to our main review, I my next uh, step into nostalgia is I watched the first RoboCop. I'm going to watch RoboCop 2 soon because I've actually never seen it all Robocop the way through. RoboCop 2 is really good. It's what I'm I've big, heard. Maybe you differ. I, I differ. I RoboCop like 2 it. is the Monty Python version of RoboCop. So I've it heard is, very interesting so things about it. I'm RoboCop not... 2 is a parody of RoboCop. It's a straight-up parody. Interesting. It's, a, it's interesting. The, 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 all of the satire, it just straight-up turns into, like, sketch comedy. Oh, interesting. And uh, the uh, the rawness and the violence of the, like, how, like, Detroit is overrun with violence, it's brought up to such an over-the-top level <laughs> that, like, like, it has a scene where, like, a uh, group of like little league baseball players are like violently robbing a convenience store, and like yeah. RoboCop. I mean, it's 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 a ridiculously, <laughs> insanely messy movie. Uh-huh. But it's, uh, to me, it's like it's so much fun to watch. I don't so know, man. It's it just someone who loves like exploitation movies and and yep. that type of stuff. I even for me, I just think that movie's too fucking vile and ugly. To Interesting. Me. I don't. Okay. I don't think it's it's, it's super over. But the I, I don't know. I guess maybe I missed something, or maybe I need to go back and revisit. One of the, but I the Claire's not... Bodica character in the RoboCop 2 like the equivalent of that is like a 12 year old boy oh yeah so it's like it, it, it just goes to these like wow. weird places and I think it's part of like Irvin Kirshner going like you know he was an old guy at the at that point and having directed like Empire Strikes Back and all that and like mm-hmm. he was like the instructor to all these like George Lucas and up and coming directors and there's like this kind of like bitterness in RoboCop 2 that I find fascinating it's almost Irvin Kirshner going like you guys want fucking violence and just like raw like mean like just blood and like children being shot and shit like that like I'll give you exactly what you want <laughs> that's Fuck what I'll you. give you <laughs> and it's, it's it has this like this like meanness to it that I, I find uh, fascinating and okay. it's, I don't know I'm, I'm one of the and I, I feel like that movie's fucking hilarious at times like there's just one scene where they go through all the uh, different RoboCop. Uh, it's it's literally like they're doing a RoboCop two. There's actually a RoboCop two in the movie, and they go through all these like uh, tests where the the all the all the different RoboCops like they they just keep like killing themselves after turn being turned on and. It's just there's yeah it's I find it hilarious. It doesn't have nearly the amount of like just intelligent nuanced 
uh, political satire that the the first one has. Yeah. It's a completely different beast. Like I said, it's like a Monty Python parody of the. the it sounds. First fa- one. I mean, I'm all in. That sounds actually even more fascinating than what my coworker Fuck was Robocop telling me about. 3, by the way, talking about Fred Decker. Fred I've Decker, seen three. Fred Decker wrote and directed Robocop three. And Yikes! It's, he, Robocop he flies in that movie. Yeah, it's he has bad. a jetpack. It's PG thirteen. It's, <laughs> it's kid bad. friendly. They're like Robo Samurai and all that yeah. shit. And it's it's he Fred Decker went out on a low note of his career. Well, Have you watched the, like the Canadian uh, like short like movies or they're like they're supposed to be like episodes but they're like mm. 90 minutes long like Dark Justice and oh yeah yeah, yeah. those are shit. terrible they're, oh. they're pretty bad are they? <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know I, I still stand by the fact that the original is the so only bad. good one uh, but I'm interested in the Neil Blomkamp version thank you yes announced. like I I don't know what it is with that guy and what it rubs people the wrong way, but I, I gotta say, I I stand for the best aspects of Elysium and Chappie. I do. I well, hasn't he been Elysium trying to remake sure. Robocop? Chappie had a lot of Robocop career. Yeah, Chappie District Nine with the Ed Two Hundred Nine machines. Yep. So he has a hard on for mechs. And totally. All that and he's the right guy. Social yeah, satire dude, and a super violent. Yeah, he's definitely. That's the right what guy I was like. I, I went on like a. I was Alex Garland, but that you know. recently where I'm like. Look, do we need another RoboCop? No. But if it's going to happen anyway, yes. he's the perfect person to do it. And also, if he was going to make another movie, he's kind of in the doghouse. He's kind of in director's mm-hmm. jail. Yeah. So the only way he's going to make another movie is like a $10 million Blumhouse sci-fi movie or something attached to a IP. Right. Which was Alien like, before Ridley Scott yeah, stopped him there. Ridley Scott stopped him for that god-awful... <laughs> Covenant. Asylum ripoff of Alien, but it's made actually by Ridley Scott with a $150 million budget. Uh, But uh, but I I would say that Neil Blomkamp, I think, will make a really fun uh, RoboCop movie that just, like, captures the nostalgia of it. But if you wanted, like, a RoboCop remake with... um, That can also insert in all these, like, very um, poignant and angry, like, political satire... Mm. I wish that like Alex Garland would get a chance to to do that because that's what Dread Garland is, is pretty much. It's true. And then after Dread came out, like a couple of years after, people pretty much confirmed that he directed that. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I think I think Dread is the best RoboCop reboot still, uh, even <laughs> though it's not great. technically. Dread is great. <laughs> yeah. But if, before we move on to the Russian thing, if we, I didn't know we could bring up TV shows, so I'm going to do really quick. Yeah. Everybody should watch Cobra Kai. That show is oh, fucking yeah, awesome. Oh, yeah, is that fun? Yeah, the, it's great. The Karate Kid I thing? I checked it out. It's great, yet. and it gives you, like, a brand new kind of perspective on Karate Kid. It's a great thing to do, like, watch the first season and then watch Karate Kid the movie because it, like, gives it, like, this really interesting gray area where, like, Daniel's still also a bit of a bully. Yeah, yeah. And then Johnny is, like, there's some, like, weird, like, kind of middle ground there. Funny. And, the show kind of like picks up on that, but it like really recreates that like '80s kind of like kick-ass underdog like sports thing with the heavy metal sound, the the, the you know the hard rock soundtrack and all that stuff. Yeah, and yeah. It, just, it captures the feeling of it. It is really funny with the references that it makes to the original movie, and and also like it's um, it's actually like an interesting story to tell about like perspective, like someone you can think of as like the biggest piece of shit bad guy in the world could have like could have gone through like really um horrible stuff that like they have uh, that uh that kind of turns them human as well so it's, it's an interesting idea to take an established product it's almost like making it back to the future tv show where you see it from the perspective of like biff tan right and biff doesn't come off so and bad biff doesn't come off so bad and you get to see things from his side and so oh by the way biff the actor is in mosaic he is another one that really pops up. Oh, i was cool. so sorry to bring it to that but the people that pop up in these but things if, if, so you're, great. If, if you're one of those like 80s nostalgia guys that grew up on karate kid and um you know it's it's definitely a it has a lot of new stuff to offer. It's not just a nostalgia circle jerk. So is it on YouTube? I was really surprised. Is it a YouTube it's on YouTube series? Red, but you have to like YouTube. sign up for their service. And um, you know, I think I feel like it's kind of worth it if, to to just watch the first season of this, especially if you're a big fan of the Karate Kid. That's awesome. And it, and it does a good thing where you know it's like that's kind of cliche now, but in this case, it was a good idea. It ignores the all the sequels and everything mm-hmm. it's just basically a continuation of the from the first, first one see that seems to be an era that we're merging into in cinema is like 
the, that's what the Halloween franchise has done that five times now. And they're doing it with <laughs> this new one, which, yeah. by the way, also very excited for that Halloween movie. I think it could be yeah, interesting. And they're basically ignoring everything and going to make they're new Halloween They're ignoring Halloween 2. Right, which Carpenter was a part of. I didn't think they were going to ignore 2, to be honest. But they're it's ignoring the, same, the sister It's the thing. same night. Uh, they're I was, saying I was like, oh, exciting. you can't just ignore the second one. Oh, they did ignore the second yeah, one. Yeah, because apparently, apparently Laurie Strode is not uh, Michael Myers' sister anymore, right. which I love. I absolutely love that decision. That is when that series became bogged down. And I a actually, clipped when I saw that dialogue mm-hmm. in the yeah, they make fun in the of it trailer. Specific. Yeah, and like I, I would be very, very disappointed if that was like a joke. And it turns out that they are still brother and sister because I think that was one of the dumbest like yeah. twists they it's added. It's just not necessary. There's yeah. a there's a poster for the new Halloween in the first purge in a character's bedroom. Oh, you <laughs> mentioned that on Twitter. I saw that. What's talk, that all about? Talk about inner marketing. It's Universal it's, Blumhouse. Yeah. There you go. Like, okay. I just saw that and went, how embarrassing. <laughs> you should be embarrassed. <laughs> you, 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 can't, be. you can't play because it's like a first time director, right? I'm sure Jason Bloom was like, that poster was going to be in that dude's room. I guess so, but like you would think realistically it would be a poster for probably the original Halloween if it was going to be the case. So it was just, right. it was just I just looked. I'm like, wait. That's so in the Purge the world. If I'm going to take this seriously, this new Halloween movie exists, and it's it already so good that, that this kid needed the poster. I guess so because we don't know how far in the future it is. I guess they in never the stayed. Did they take place in the right. future? I thought it was like an alternate universe. I I don't know. Huh. I should know. I've watched and reviewed every single one of these, but I don't. <laughs> but I don't know. Are, are, you still, are you still uh, the thought of uh, that the third one is still the only like? It's the only one, one that I watched that was I thought was like solid. Yeah. Right. And maybe I haven't seen the fourth one yet, but I would agree. And maybe with it was that, my yeah. state of mind in the moment, and like state of mind now. But even then, I thought like. Mm-hmm. But even like watching this one, I assumed that I'd be excited especially like it's like oh i'm i'm angry just as like this movie is angry but i'm like yeah but they don't do it in a way that doesn't sound like someone yelling on their twitter feed you know it just doesn't do it in a way that's interesting cinematically yeah they could be much smarter about it and i don't know why they're not because i mean people come up with the argument of like oh because you gotta deliver the goods and the exploitation the blood and the action and all that stuff well, we just talked about RoboCop. You, they, you can do both. Like, Exhibit A, that you can do that. and it's one like, of the great um, examples, like, yeah. They Live is another one where you yeah, can have, like, live. a very, very poignant laser-focused satire mm. about a certain economic and, uh, you know, sociopolitical problem mm-hmm. and still have a 15-minute uh, super over-the-top fight scene in the middle of it. So. In, a, in a perfect world, all movies would just be like that. But I, gu- yeah. I guess we just have to be happy for the ones we get. Exactly. Should we swing over to a movie that's I about think... the most opposite of that? <laughs> Let's take a hard right turn, folks. <laughs> Let's do it. And really, again, we, this doesn't have to be long. This is um, what, what really what we're doing here, what caused us to gather for this uh, episode, besides all of us being in the same space together, is uh, a Blu-ray release, um, two specifically from Kino Lorber, um, that has done a number of great Blu-ray uh, releases. They've mm-hmm. they've done a good uh, recent version of A Fistful of Dollars. Um, uh, they the good, they the released the they finally released the theatrical version of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly on Blu-ray. Right. So and you can big get it shout out for to, like ten to bucks that. on their site. I mean, it's oh, that's really great. it's yeah. really affordable. All um, the other Blu-ray versions have that like extra fourteen minutes where they like pulled in. Eli Wallach and Clint Eastwood at like eighty something and made them like redub the oh, yikes. lines and I, I I think those extra scenes kind of like fuck with the perfect flow of that movie I, I'm a huge and the theatrical version is like one of my That's top five favorite movies of all time so uh, I was very I, and I've been relegated to kind of if I wanted to watch like a half decent. Uh, print for the last like almost 20 years I've been relegated to watching the the new uh, extra 14 minute version where they also redid the the sound effects of the gunshots and stuff oh like yikes that. So, so it's got weird the, the, the mono track of the theatrical version on the Kino Lorber Lorber yeah Blu-ray release just that's the one buy that and pop that in they, I mean they do awesome they do great work they um, are putting you know challenging small movies out in theaters still um, the theater I work at still shows some of their stuff uh, as well as the other theater I project at the, the Northwest Film Center will show their stuff because nobody mm-hmm. else will um, they're just small movies but they're still plugging along Kino's been around for a long time mm-hmm. um, and it's just really cool that they put out uh, the first films from Russian director Andrei Zivyaginstev uh, and we're gonna hone in specifically on that debut film The Return uh, and his this second one which they also put the, the Blu-ray out and they're both available now is The Banishment um, I would say just to sort of get the ball rolling and talk about this director overall um, 
the Banishment is my least favorite of his. It's the only one I've seen just once, and I kind of feel good on it. I'm like, eh, you know, maybe there's layers to unpack. But the other four films in his filmography so far, his features, are like always in my top ten, usually up high. Um, his third film, Elena, which is sort of a neo-noir uh, with old people in it, uh, mm-hmm. was my number one movie the year it came out. That's it how I first heard about the movie. Was, was me talking your, about it? Just your tracking episode on it. I love that movie. And I think Elena which, by the way, has a beautiful uh, Blu-ray that was put out a few years ago by Zeitgeist, but also Syncope, which is Christopher Mm. Nolan's uh, label. You always Mm -hmm. see Syncope come up on a title card before his movies. It's like his company. He championed this filmmaker and got that Blu-ray released, and it's a gorgeous Blu-ray. It's Criterion-level Blu-ray. The quality, but also the packaging. Um, I love Elena. In fact, to be honest, even though we're here talking about The Return mostly... I would say Elena is a great window into this director's work. Mm. I think it's the most accessible movie he's done. I think it has the most generic flow plot to it. So instead of cutting your wrists after, you just kind of cut yourself a little bit? Just little cuts here and there. I I bite my nails a little too far. (laughs) That's what I do. Um, But, yeah, so I think Elena might be a great entry point. Um, But this is a director that also did uh, two recent movies, uh, Leviathan from a couple years ago which was the Russian version, not the fish abstract documentary or the Peter Weller 1989 uh, monster <laughs> movie. That, that would be awesome. There's a lot of Leviathans out there, but the Russian <laughs> Imagine one... Imagine like he directed that and then he just like took like a 15, 15 years year, off. 15 year break. I must go to my homeland now. Um, <laughs> like, I'm going to go back to Russia and make depressing kind of <laughs> Well, no, this is his Michael Haneke. He just did two versions, dude. It was oh, the nice. American... No. <laughs> but uh, so he did Leviathan and then the movie that... Uh, at least for American audiences, came out very briefly. It was at my theater for not very long, but uh, Loveless, which is one of my favorite movies of this year. It's a brutal movie about a boy going missing and a couple that is not only at the beginning of a divorce, but they are clearly at the end of their relationship. They are not happy, but um, the movie becomes this really beautiful but sad, deeply sad meditation on the loss of community, kind of. And... Um, uh, with the return, which is the 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 real one that I'm just excited about, that there's a Blu-ray release of this movie now. Um, it was on DVD forever. That's how I caught up with it, like years and years ago when I first heard about this filmmaker from some British podcaster I used to listen to, who like had access to these movies, clued me into this guy, and um, I really thought like, okay, so it's great. We've got a Blu-ray that's out there. These movies exist now in really good versions. Um, I know I'm a big fan. I loved the movie the first time I saw it, The Return. I watched it recently. Um, I actually took this Blu-ray for a full spin at my theater on the big screen. And while it doesn't quite hold up to uh, the large image, uh, it still looked very good. But you could see some of the you know, the kinks in it. Um, it. Not quite on Criterion level. I've projected Criterion Blu-rays before on that big screen. And it's like, holy shit, I'm, I might as well be playing the D- DCP. So... Mm-hmm. Anyway, this Kino release looks really good, sounds really good to an extent, but I think the thing to talk about is I want to know what you guys think of this director because I think you've seen Leviathan Octay already. Mm-hmm. All, I've only seen The Return of Leviathan. And now you caught up with The Return as a result of this. Yeah. So you just tell me what you think about him, um, but also like get to The Return at some point. I want to know well, what you think. He, he definitely has this like kind of uh, Tarkovsky influence of... Yep. Very slow burn um, uh, dramas, very like um, serious, somber subject matter. Uh, not nearly as much or at all up its own ass as, as Tarkovsky, I would say, which makes him like him, which makes me like him like more as a filmmaker because he seems to prioritize, um, you know, characters and. Um, themes, maybe not story and plot, but at least he has a baseline of like very strong kind of thematic approaching characters instead of just the one big um, uh, show of like just cinematic grandstanding. Um, yeah. Sorry, in the middle of all this, I'm just kind of like purging my issues about Tarkov. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I loved Leviathan when it came out, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I did like. There's always this. This thing about this director with between these two movies, yeah, each each of these movies can be like twenty something minutes shorter, a little mm. bit maybe to mm-hmm. get the point across. He holds on shots. He holds longer. on shots. Yeah, so that's where the Star like thing, especially like long shots, like long, incredibly slow pans of like 
people in the middle of like a desolate desolate landscape in the middle of uh, the the unforgiving nature mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. The, you know just like kind of pointing out like that, that 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 stalker thing you know which is you know uh my favorite tarkovsky probably take that with a grain of salt but um you know it's like it's he he, he does have a lot of like emphasis on how uh while the little people in this like russian society get crushed by the big people we are merely nothing Right. Compared to the wrath of nature, mm. and there was a lot of that in Leviathan. I yeah. felt like because Leviathan is, is basically like a uh, another retelling of the Book of Job, right? Uh, but unlike um, a serious something man. like a serious man, which like turns it into like a theological argument, right? Um, Leviathan turns it into kind of a nihilistic uh, argument of like yes, the you know it's the it's the old George Carlin bit is like. The planet is, isn't going anywhere. We are like there. We're, we're nothing mm. to the planet, yep. and uh, so it's just it just has that um, kind of thing about like how we cannot, no matter how hard we try, we cannot really fight against our reptilian brain mm. um, nature. Mm. And the return does a really good job of like exploring, kind of in a very like surprisingly simple yet effective way of how uh, the the parent cub relationship yeah. you know like yep. you think about like not just humans but just animals yeah how that is how that develops mm-hmm. how like nature like forces you to be like kind of a dick to your offspring right but then at the same time you want to like protect them and like make sure that they're ready for for life uh, but then that clashes with um whatever natural place of evolution we come as a mm. as a species in this like kind of civilized society that we built for ourselves and um this is the kind of like kind of very uh bitter but realistic approach to that like natural state of you know parent and child right that um is perfect for a russian filmmaker because russia in in many ways as much as like you it has the veneer of like Western civilization mm-hmm. with a lot of like just corrupt, awful, violent shit underneath. So a parent who's been kind of through that society, it's understandable for him to just all of a sudden, because it's about a it's about a father who just like pops up out of the blue after twelve years of like complete absence and about the and road trip to, from hell. They, yeah, his kids go on takes, with takes his two boys <laughs> on this like road trip to just kind of try to make up for basically 12 years of completely lost like but what's interesting parenting. is that what you think but the movie really does not clue us into what his motivations are yeah he wants yeah, to be a father there, there, there are weird clues here and there about like there might be something shady going on there but not, and I really love that it's not really because it's from the kid's perspective it's from in the that kid's way. perspective so well, there's a line yeah. that will always stick with me of like you know why did you even come back and it's like your mother asked me to come back so that yeah. I mean that's like like the biggest clue to me there is that she just was like she okay, thought they needed a male they inch. needed a male yeah it's like she's like I can't do I mean the opening scene is basically oh a thesis statement so for good. the rest of the movie where it's just like okay I can't personally handle and help you through this yes and it's and it bookends I mean I don't want to spoil where the movie goes but it right. bookends so brilliantly with the clothes where it's like in order to do that. Like you have to go over some go over some hardships to be able to conquer your fear. True, those hardships just for them but, were, but were also, much much harder than yeah. it's like mo- brought into this almost Shakespearean Greek, yeah. almost like a Greek tragedy. But right? with this, this movie, traditional... like the whole plot of it all, where it goes Shakespearean, yeah. um, biblical. I did think it was yeah. going to be more like a Cain and Abel story mm. it's, at, at moments, and then it kind of pivots away from it that. Does, it does, but it's also like Shakespearean coupled with a very like with the coming of age movie, yes, too, which yes. is really interesting. This like, is a coming of we, age. We've movie. seen a dozen, or more than a dozen. We've seen hundreds of coming of age movies. Yep. Like they're a dime a dozen, but this one is. Unlike this any a forced coming of age well, movie, yeah, well that too. Well, yeah, like well, you're going to come of age whether you like it too or yeah, not. Two but days I, to come of age, basically. But I've never That's seen the... one quite like that. Cool. I, and uh, I, I'm really excited to check out this filmmaker's work. Um, not to just like 
take over the conversation here, but I have never seen any of his movies up mm. until this point. Mm. I remember you championing Elena on an old adjusted tracking, and that's when this filmmaker first appeared on the map. I've just been really bad about catching up with those movies, so I'm glad that you picked this to like actually like force me to sit with it. That's awesome. Because um, that's kind of what you got to do with this guy's work. Like, nothing is an easy sit. Uh, yeah. Uh, like you have to absorb his work and it takes it's challenging in that way but I um, that you just nailed the reason I think it's always worth bringing up a director like this because I've championed his work on previous adjuster trackings but yet I know you know you guys are as obsessed with movies as I am we all keep up but there's always some director or some movies that any of us just hasn't caught up with I haven't seen Extro I've never heard of that movie until you were championing it but I cannot wait now and that's that's the main reason it is like I think this is a director that is um, oppressive or daunting from any moviegoer's perspective to be like geez like a two and a half hour movie called Leviathan about like Mm -hmm. You know, a story, another take on the story of Job or the return. It's just this brutal, like a guy who is not exactly going to win father of the year, taking his two kids on a brutal coming of age road trip where it does not end uh, with everybody singing la 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 together around the fire. It's it's the opposite of that. But within that, within the very um, serious, I think is a good way to describe him. He's just deeply Russian in that way where it's like, no, I'm going to be very serious about what I do. Um, very artful the pacing I do enjoy but the thing about The Return is it almost to me I found it fast paced compared to anything else he's done yeah it's, it's, Relative it's more streamlined than his other stuff like it's it really gets in it does it, it like all of his movies shots tend to hold a little longer yeah. the pans go longer he's sort of setting you in a mood but The Return yeah. really moves in a way where it's scene to scene it doesn't waste time I mean the kids open on that opening scene I would put it this way. If you put on The Return and you have not seen this director's films and the opening scene is just like too much for you to take or if it feels like too much, probably, you know, go with that (laughs) feeling and just not watch it. Well, first of all, if you have have, have daddy issues, then this movie's going to bring them up. It's going to bring up a lot of stuff. I guess that's what I'm saying is like a lot of stuff. He's so good at rendering certain like big grand themes or grand ideas. So in the opening scene of The Return, it's this little boy with his brother. He's the younger brother, and he's afraid to jump off of a high ladder into water, and all the other boys have done it. I don't know. This is, um, I think for some people when they watch foreign films or art house movies, they might think they have no entry point or what am I going to get out of this? Mm. What I love about this director is these are very base, relatable things. Mm. I can remember being the younger brother, wanting to hang out with my brother, my older brother's friends and being cowardly in an instance like this. You can, mm. like there are, there's deeply oh, you, you relatable things. You can relate things. to everything in this film and that's why I'm saying like he's like, his his screenwriting or like like just you know don't expect like much of a story or plot out of this or out of like pretty much any other of his other films I guess mm-hmm. but um, but he is very good at taking very simple kind of themes about almost like about like our like human nature yeah um, mm-hmm. and about how we relate to each other and then, then turns them into this like this, this beautiful kind of uh, introspective and complex art house films, but yep. but as soon as long as like these relatable basic themes about human behavior are are ingrained into the DNA of the movie, there's always something that you can grasp onto, and that's yep. what makes his work um, kind of almost more accessible. Even though his technical approach is as kind of uh, languidly paced and kind of at a distance at an emotional distance as like Tarkovsky is. Yeah. But his his it's you can immediately relate to the characters that he's putting on. You can immediately right. relate to like all the stuff that they go through with the with the father and how the father is just trying to almost like squeeze in like twelve years <laughs> of like parental patriarchal discipline, which in like that kind of like working class Russian culture is like suck it up, be tough don't be a pussy, mm-hmm. don't cry, and, like, all that stuff. And these kids have been, like, coddled by their mothers and almost, like, trying to squeeze that into a two-day, like, road trip. They're, he just basically fries their brain. Totally. And, just, they, they flip, and it just turns into this, like, kind of, like, biblical Shakespearean tragedy, like you guys said. And it, 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 earns its, it earns its tragedy. It's not, yeah, I agree. It's not, like, 
just out of the blue for shock value or anything like that. I'm glad that, to hear that's that. That's very hard to pull off. Because I think, especially by the end of the return, I would understand if some people were just like, oh, come on, like that happens, but it's like... It makes sense thematically. It that's really the biggest does. thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I th- right. And I think that's where he's really strong, and that's my thing. I'm always... I think I've always just had this belief that like even someone that's a casual moviegoer, if I could just... If you could clue them into a movie you know they would not watch, mm-hmm. probably haven't even heard of, which that's the thing. Uh, we're in cinephile circles most of the time, and we all know of this guy because he's always at the Cannes Film Festival. If he has a movie out, it's like it's already a part of the art house world cinema conversation, and he's already been sort of canonized as a great filmmaker, but not a lot of people have seen his movie still. The fact remains that when we... Uh, Sony Pictures Classics has released his last two, Loveless and Leviathan, and I'm really glad that they did, but they've probably lost money on it, putting mm-hmm. them out. Yeah. Um, hopefully I'm wrong, but, you know, like, uh, he's been nominated for foreign language film, at least for Leviathan, and it's like, um, he's known, but I still think uh, there are people that might think, oh, it's a Russian film about the father taking, like, on a harrowing road trip. Well, give it a shot, because I think... There, you might just end up thinking like, "Holy shit! I just watched like a Russian movie, and it was like there's there's um I I think there's a lot of layers to his films, but I also do get a thrill from from the filmmaking on that sort of Tarkovsky mm. level. Mm. But he's there; he's deeply empathetic. I think he's unafraid to give you a brutal truth or a mm. harshly nihilistic uh, you know conclusion uh, I mean, to things I, I, but he's yeah. honest I feel like he's an honest yeah, he is. filmmaker and I, I would love for him to like get a bit more uh, exposure especially around uh, Hollywood because I would love for him to be hired to direct like Deadpool 3 um, <laughs> let's just imagine, see what that's imagine, like can you imagine how fucking amazing that movie would be it would be fascinating to see as just a social experiment to see yeah. people's yeah. heads explode in the theater when they're that just like be- why is it moving so slow <laughs> and why but, is it so fucking depressing why yeah. is it not funny <laughs> yeah he would take yeah exactly especially after Deadpool 2 I think he would take it into some interesting it would be funny directions. but it would be like, yeah. like a, it would be like a nihilistic like Nietzsche comedy type of funny it's just like every nothing matters and we're all nature's little bitch and you know it's like it would just like have like wall to wall nihilism I, I love how he manages to take uh, and I think I think we could probably wrap it up because it seems like we're overall saying check this movie out watch this guy's mm-hmm. movies if you can but like in the return, it's very, uh, it's very evident. It's a big part of the imagery, but um, Elena has elements of this too. But the return, I love the way he sort of bastardizes what would be typically picturesque, like Hallmark moments, mm-hmm. like two boys at dusk fishing on a lake on a tree. Mm-hmm. And he just brutalizes all that stuff. He, he gives you, he sets up this gorgeous imagery that looks familiar that I, I can relate to or anybody who's had a, a decent childhood might relate to or something. And then he just like, he, he alters it for you. And yeah. I think that is like what a good filmmaker does. He That's how he burrows into my brain. It's not just the like, ooh, he's a good filmmaker. Mm. It, it's like, there's something about his filmmaking, and I'm still trying to figure it out. It's what I love about him, but there's just something about it that warms its way. Well, in my the brain. twist and knife even further, and I, I don't want to spoil where this movie uh, goes, so I won't do that. But I think it's safe to, without context, I think it wouldn't matter. But you guys will know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. The fact that the movie ends with photographs, with still yes. photographs. Mm-hmm. You yes. talk about yeah. like subverting those Hallmark esque moments. Good call. Which also because we know where those photos come from yep. by the end and yep. what really. But if is you watch them, those photos out of context, looks like a good like, little time. Exactly. Yeah. It just it's so mm-hmm. good. It's, it's a, so good. It's a great point. And I had actually yeah. forgotten that it had been so long since I'd seen the movie that when it came up on screen, I was like, oh, what a what a note to go on. Yeah. You know, just, after mm-hmm. you've been through, because you don't want the lights and the credits to just come up after what you've gone through. Mm-hmm. You, you need a little soak it in. And then for him to, it's like, it's a twisting of the knife almost yeah. one more time. It's yeah, like, it, def- it makes it more poignant. It does. Yes. It does. So, um, well, thank I you, wanna, guys. Um, yeah. But yeah, before, what else you want to Before we move on, yeah. if, you got, if you like this guy's work, uh, I want to kind of recommend another Russian director. Yes. That I'm a big fan of. That's, I think, is even less, like, kind of known Probably, around I, these parts. I his, feel like Zivigin stuff's, like, the guy right now. Stuff, yeah. So, like, if, his yeah. name is His name is Yuri Bikov. Oh, okay. Uh, he's a fairly young director. He's around our age, like, 30-something. Um, uh, diaper baby Ryan excluded. Um... <laughs> 
Just had to get that in there. <laughs> had to, had to, had to had do, to it. do it. Had to I'm do talking it. about the, I, I'm talking about the the rough old age of people who were born in like early 80s. Um, but anyway, you don't know, Ryan. He's, you don't uh, know. He's he's equally he's the he's the same kind of like maybe not as contemplative and uh, art housey as mm. as. Uh, as the other guy, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. But this begins to. It just yeah. sounds like you're talking backwards. Probably am. Uh, so Yuri Bikov, uh, he made uh, two films. He made a bunch of films, but two films that I really love is mm-hmm. uh, The Major from 2012, I think. But the one that I would really love to recommend is called The Fool from 2014. Oh, shit. I've seen The Fool about the crack in the the, yeah, the, the wall, the, building. the hotel, the, yeah, yeah, the building, the the, the, the low income building, and okay. uh, he makes films that are more like bitter about Russia's like political issues than mm-hmm. sociological issues but he does also uh, like find a way to bring them full circle about like turns them into like very bitter satire on like how kind of uncaring and um selfish people can be to awesome. one another and it's a it's a film about like this this guy who's just like kind of a do-gooder in a society that like punishes people who want to do good things who want to care about their fellow man and he's he's the kind of like a contractor and he realizes that this low-income housing has a crack at this low-income building where like hundreds of people like women children live has this crack at the bottom and it's about to topple off all these people are about to die and he basically the movie uh, kind of plays almost like a thriller in a way like you know, it, yeah you know, there, there's like a there's like a time like ticking time clock element exactly. to it, but but it's mostly about how no one gives a shit about these people i mean I'm it's, talking, all it's, it's, buck, it's all a past the buck right it's all past the buck and then like everybody in the in government everybody in charge is like it's not my fault it's not my fault and it <laughs> goes to this like it goes to these like incredibly dark places yep. and then and then eventually it just it just turns around into like even the people who live in that area just like just people it's 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 a society that has inoculated itself to like uh like pe- protective behavior yeah. of of each other so much that when someone comes up and be like says like you have to evacuate this place is going to like crumble right. they always even the people who live there immediately think of like oh, what's the angle here what's right. the, what's the con is that an example right, of a uh, hyper normal hyper normalization that whole effect that i think yeah. that documentary was about yeah. or the quasi documentary by adam curtis is sort yeah, of yeah. about that idea that so, so, you get so it's about that and, and it's about like the the kind of corruption of of complete corruption of morality it's a it's a good director it's, it's to a, bring it's a good up movie compared. to watch these days as yeah. well uh, but but yeah, it's 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 a very like kind of unrelentingly grim film but uh really has a very grounded and in my opinion realistic view of um you know that kind of a society so cool uh, i think fool, that is i would recommend that it's in uh, the major it's, is the other one? yeah the major is the other one okay. and like these films are maybe a bit more mainstream in their technical approach but yeah. as far as like their kind of unrelenting brave and like brutally honest approach to um it's themes. It's it's they're they're you know similar to the other guy. Which you know, if you, if you end up lo- loving these this, that guy's movies, I would totally gosh. Check if those if out. anybody ends up loving these movies, to then venture into other Russian cinema, then I can die a happy man. That would be great. And um, yeah, uh, you and know, get, hopefully, and then, and then get your noose ready because there aren't a lot of happy <laughs> examples in Russian cinema. And you know, no one says like I love that Russian comedy musical. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So exactly, I I so I I think. Like, that's, you know, this as not a launching pad, but for us to, you know, dive back into the podcasting game, I I really am happy if anybody's made it this far and will seek out the return, seek out these, these, these challenging films. But I'm also glad we opened on some fun sort of general talks, sort of like leaving the... The, uh, the difficult subject matter but um, yeah I think I think we can leave it at that again The Return The Banishment those are on, on Blu-ray as are uh, Zivy Genstoff's all his other films are now and you can mm-hmm. you can rent them on VOD yeah. uh, they're uh, they're made available for US the, distribution The Fool is also on Blu-ray right. you can buy very good very good and probably streaming on, on any VOD oh, sites I yeah. bet because that got distribution and um, yeah uh, so you know we'll, we'll be back on Mike hopefully sooner rather than later and I'm sure it'll be more home video stuff but uh, whatever it is that you like about this, if you do, send uh, send us a message and let us know or, uh, you know, comment or whatever. But um, why don't we leave it at that, guys? What do you say? 
Sure. Let's yeah. do it. Well, I'll, I'll sign off here. Eric McClanahan, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Playlist Podcast. Uh, this is Oktay Kozak. Uh, I'm a film critic for uh, Paste Magazine, uh, podcaster for The Playlist, of course, and uh, occasional writer for uh, Thrillist, and a film critic for DVD Talk. All right. I'm Ryan Oliver. I'm film critic here at The Playlist and podcaster. And, you know, it wouldn't be a podcast without having to do a little plug. So, do it. Uh, so be sure if you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on Stitcher, on yes. SoundCloud, on iTunes. Uh, you'll get this. You'll get uh, uh, gesture tracking, over-under movies, whatever, whatever's your jam. We, we're going to try and cover all those bases. So be sure to subscribe to us and leave a comment or rating if you're so inclined to. Thank you for doing mm-hmm. the house cleaning. All right. And thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>